As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is this is Ben Sternke. This is Matt Tebby. <laughs> um, Just kidding. True. That's reversed. Yeah. That's not if true. If this is your first Gravity Podcast episode, you won't understand why that's funny. <laughs> or that it's not even if it's your even second if, or third. Yeah, yeah. You'd be funny. like, this is a dumb joke. Why um, did you start with that one? Here's the thing that I I'm trying to I'm trying to pay attention right now to this this little thing we're doing because I'm smelling I'm. Right now, I'm boiling a brine for our mm. Thanksgiving turkey, mm. and it's got like onion and brown sugar and apples and carrots and celery and sage and rosemary, and dude, it smells so good. Mm. It mm. smells so good. I'm super yeah. excited about it. We're trying to we're trying to get uh, all of our um, trying to get all of our podcast business taken care of before Thanksgiving, so we can take a couple of days off. So yeah, yeah, and this yeah. and I you just sent me the. If you guys want the recipe for this, Brian, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Oh. That's how, that's how excited I am about it. <laughs> Matt just sent it to me, and I'm like, eh, maybe I could use a Brian as well. Yeah. Do I need to start it tonight? Well, you have to read through, the, you read through the directions. You have, to, you have okay. to boil it, then you have to cool it off, then you have to soak Ooh. the turkey, then you have to... Oh, gosh. So right. you, you need to give well, yourself I might, a couple I want to give, give myself a, a little bit of time. I'm going to maybe get started tonight. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, put a link in the show notes. Oh, y'all. Um, we had this uh, realization earlier this fall, Ben, that we've been doing a, the Gravity Leadership Podcast almost two years now, mm. and we uh, had never invited other leaders on who are doing similar work to Gravity Leadership and talking about similar matters, mm-hmm. and we thought, why, what, what the heck? Why not just do that? <laughs> so we decided to do a... This this is like the most uh, unironic thing ever. We yeah. decided to do a leadership series for the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Mm. Ta-da! It's a little too on the nose, maybe. Maybe that's why we never <laughs> thought of it. I mean, some of you have been no. like, you're a hundred and some odd episodes in, you're like, finally. These yeah. guys took them long These enough. Guys. Yes. <laughs> Although so I was I mean, just looking at up, I was just looking this up. Uh, we've been over two years now. 
Oh, have we? Like, yeah, we started March 14th, 2018. Oh, goodness. So two years would have been March. Oh, this goodness. will be, this episode is our 157th episode. This one here. Great googly. Isn't that crazy? All right. Well, good so anyway, for us. But anyway, we're finally doing a series on leadership. Um, these, uh, some of these uh, we recorded actually quite a long time ago. They've been sort of in the can, yep. so to speak. Uh, you know what that metaphor refers to? In the can? Yeah. Uh, does it have to do with your backside? No. Oh. It okay. has to do with audio files. Uh, I'm almost sure of this. And the way that they used to, like, well, I say audio files. But like, you know, they used to record tape. And when you record a tape, uh, after you're done recording to the tape, you put it in these little tin cans, the, the mm-hmm. tape that you use to record uh, audio. And so if something's in the can, it means like we already got it recorded. So anyway, oh. these have been in the can, yes, so to speak, which and just means they're files on our computer that have been sitting there for months. Yes. Today we have Jim Harrington. Yeah. Uh, who wrote a wonderful book called The Leader's Journey Leads a Ministry Called Faith Walking. And we hadn't known Jim. We had never met him. And he, and a, a mutual friend of ours introduced us. And we had such mm-hmm. a delightful conversation. We did. I really, really like Jim. Yeah. Jim's a great guy. Yeah. We heartily recommend uh, his books, uh, which he'll talk about in this podcast, but also his ministry, Faith Walking, which does mm-hmm. some very similar discipleship, leadership formation stuff to Gravity. Yep. Yeah, he's also got um, a ministry specifically for leaders called The Leader's Journey. We'll link to all this in the show notes, but they do coaching in like emotional intelligence, adaptive leadership, um, really similar work to what we do. Uh, we sort of found ourselves sort of like, huh. It's kind of funny we've never heard of each other. Right. Um, felt a very kindred spirit with Jim yeah. and his approach to leadership. It's um, really, they call it, they call it wholehearted leadership. Um, and I was like, that's, mm. that's really good. It's a really good way of talking about it. Mm. So anyway, it's, great, it's a great interview. Yeah. We're going to, and we're going to do this series, just uh, four episodes. It's kind of a mini series just leading up to Christmas. It's our Christmas present to you, Gravity Leadership Community. <laughs> um, so I hope, I hope you enjoy them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to say. No, but uh, it's, just just to be on the lookout, because mm-hmm. we're going to do uh, another kind of leadership kind of double click in the new year on yeah. um, on race and gender and how what we're learning as white men who want to yeah. create space for um, other uh, for, pe- for persons of color, black and brown people, and also women in the center of our leadership spaces. What we're learning yeah. about that? Yes. What we're learning through our own failures. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, well. there's no learning as a. Uh, I mean, at least not for me. There's yeah. no. There's no learning by killing it here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's anyway. Look, look for that. I'm, I'm eager to, uh, to hear mm-hmm. kind of where that um, series goes, and we kind of do. You know, it's not like, um, hey, we learned all this stuff. Let's collect it into some podcasts. Right. We sort of learn on the podcast. Yep. Which totally. is kind of a fun way to, fun way to do it. Um, yes. So, yes. so I'm eager to see where that series goes. We also have some, uh, we have an interview um, in the new year as well with a friend of ours, Andrew Arndt, um, mm. that I'm looking forward to. I remember that was a great conversation as well. So anyway, lots of good conversations coming your way, friends. Yeah. Stay tuned. We should get subscribe. out of the way and get to this first Smash one. Smash huh? that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> Hit that bell. <laughs> anyway. Oh goodness. In, in another life, um, I would have tried to be a YouTuber. Smash that subscribe button. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You'd be good at it. I can tell yeah. you right now. Thank oh, yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> All right.
friends, enjoy this interview with Jim. Yep. And it, like I said, this is uh, this is I think the oldest interview we recorded. That Matt, you and I recorded this from the same room. You that can was, give our secrets. I think away? this was before. I, I, I'm just saying, like this I is think this might have been pre-COVID. Yeah, this is. Be- I think we this- recorded this bef- like nine months ago. This mm-hmm. is crazy. We stood mm-hmm. about two feet apart. We exhaled all over each other like like <laughs> fools and heathens. Maybe maybe it was right at the beginning. I can't remember actually. Maybe it was right at the beginning where it was like we we're like, hey, should we be in the same room together? Yeah, we shared. And it a, felt okay. We yeah. shared a handkerchief. We um, <laughs> we were not wearing face masks. I remember that. I remember you. Anyway. Were, you were feeling low on energy that day, so I chewed up some food and fed it to you because you just didn't have yeah. the energy to I use think, your jaw. Yeah, we thought that was safe back then. <laughs> Pre-COVID, the early days of COVID, where we we were still feeding each other, yeah, pre-chewed food. Oh gosh, let's Ooh. just get, right. let's get out this, of the way. This went off the rails. All let's right. get Jim in here. Let's get Jim in here. Fix this, Jim. Help us. Jim Harrington, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Matt. Glad to be here with you. Yeah. Jim, uh, f- could you give us a brief introduction, who you are, what you spend your time doing, etc.? Sure. I've been a pastor all of my life, uh, lived in Houston for 35 years, served as a pastor of a local church, served as a denominational exec, served as the executive director of the, what we call the city team in Houston that was called Mission Houston. Uh, now it's called Houston Responds, but it's a citywide effort to uh, get churches to work together across the lines that would normally divide, like congregation, uh, I mean, like denomination or culture or language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, in about 2006, um, we developed a ministry called Faith Walking um, that's a spiritual formation work uh, that helps people learn to live missionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, most recently, uh, my partner, Tricia Taylor, and I have uh, an LLC called The Leader's Journey, which is also the name of a book that we co-authored. Uh, and we do about 40% of our work is individual coaching with pastors and leaders. About 40% of it is uh, leadership development. We really believe that in the postmodern, post-Christian world, there are a different kind of set of leadership skills that, uh, that, that pastors need. Yes. And so not only do we help train pastoral staffs, or clusters of pastors to know those leadership skills, but then we provide coaching to help them master them. And then we do a little bit of work uh, at the national level with, uh, we're working with Vineyard USA's uh, uh, reorganization team, and we're working with the Reformed Church in America's uh, team that is trying to help them come to grips with the human sexuality conversation that they've been having for a while. So it's like every day is different. I have a lot of different kinds of uh, things that I get to do that are a lot of fun. Yeah, Jim, that sounds a lot like Ben. That sounds like our job in a way. <laughs> it does. Yeah, pretty interesting. A lot of stuff, lot of yeah. stuff going on, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Never a yeah. dull moment. Well, Jim, I'm curious. Uh, we want to talk about the leader's journey. Uh, this book that you've co-authored. You mentioned Trisha being a partner and another mm-hmm. guy uh, named Robert Creech. Robert, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but I'm interested in what something you just said there in the intro about the leadership skills needed for post-Christian, post-modern world, and how that differs from maybe Christendom or, right, 1920. Could you, how did you come up, how did you begin to notice and name that we need something different? And could you maybe give us a couple, one or two artifacts of what those differences are? Uh, yeah, so um, 
when I, in 1989, I became the executive director of an association of 500 uh, Southern Baptist churches in Harris County, which is Houston. And I was hired as a change agent. Uh, I was 35 years old. Uh, the denomination, the, the denomination locally had been in decline for more than 40 years. Mm. Uh, I am a change agent just by nature, and I didn't have a lot invested in the, in the, in the, in the denomination. Um, and so in the first couple of years, we did a series of pilot projects with, uh, uh, three different pilot projects with 13 congregations, uh, in each pilot project, multicultural groups of pastors, uh, where we, um, where we begin to explore, uh, what the challenges they were facing and what some potential solutions were. And ultimately we wrote a book called leading congregational change that, that essentially said, um, that the primary thing that every congregation in a Houston kind of setting is facing is the pace of change. Uh, that up until that point, uh, the pace of change was so slow that if a congregation encountered a problem, they could run it up the flagpole to the local to the national denomination. The national denomination had some smart guys who could, you know, do some kind of test, yeah. a field test, run it back down and test it in several places, run it back up and fix whatever needed to be fixed, and then mass produce it to everybody. Huh. And you had enough time that you could do that. But the faster the pace of change happened, the more there was a different set of skills that pastors and leaders had to have. Uh, in order to be able to read their context and develop uh, strategies that were based on the specific and particular context that they were in. And then this is the rest of the story. We did a five. So after those three pilot projects, uh, we had about 250 pastors in Houston across denominations who participated in a, a five-year project where we were testing this theory of congregational change um, about about halfway through that journey, we begin to recognize that when pastors try to lead change, it creates anxiety in the life of the congregation. Yes. Uh, and we're not equipped. Like nothing in our training equips us to know how to do that. And so that was when we wrote the leader's journey uh, back in two, the first edition back in 2003. And then the only other thing that I would add is that then in uh, several pilot projects, we did uh, with 200 American Baptist Churches USA church planters, uh, we did a three-year project uh, with America, with uh, the um, Indianapolis Center for Congregations. We did a three-year project with 15 congregations that represented everything from the UCC to the Assemblies of God and everything in between. Um, and then for the last 12 years, we've been doing an ongoing project with the Reformed Church in America. Um, what we began to say out of those pilot projects was that congregational leadership in the postmodern world is, is like two feet walking. There is an ongoing need for personal transformation, for personal growth and development. And then there's an ongoing need for congregational mm -hmm. change. Um, when, yes. when they hired us at Western, uh, they said to us, we're not saying you're the only guys doing this, but you're the only guys that we know who have a working theory of personal transformation and a working theory of congregational transformation that you're out there field testing and then changing the, hmm. the working theory as you continue to see what the results get produced. Yes. We find that a lot of leaders we work with, Jim, they've got one or the other in mind. Right. Like, exactly. hey, I've got to get my life in order because I'm going to ruin this thing. Or <laughs> how do I change these people and get them to care about the things I care about? Right. And one of the things we do is we have an axiom 
uh, that kind of tries to tie these things together in a pithy way. We say what God's going to do through you, he's also going to do in you. And, oh, I love that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's what you're describing. And that's what this book, The Leader's Journey, uh, really is advocating for and laying out a framework for. I, I told you before we hit play that I feel like if Dallas Willard and Edwin, Edwin Friedman had a baby, uh, it'd be named the leader's journey. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really maybe, good looking baby. The, I'm telling you, I'm yeah. going to use that quote somewhere. <laughs> I promise you. I, uh, I remember Jim, I still remember where I was in my office as a pastor back in 2000. Well, here we go. Come on. 2011. I'm sitting in my office. I'm reading a failure of nerve by Edwin Friedman. And, and I had probably one of the uh, definitive half dozen consciousness shifts in my life. Mm. That book not only changed my life, I think it saved my life in pastoral yeah. ministry. Yeah. And Friedman makes use of something you make use of in this book. And I'd love it if you could just introduce it for our listeners. It makes use of Bowen Family Systems uh, Theory. Could you describe what that is succinctly? Uh, I don't know if I can do it succinctly. <laughs> wave your wave your hands at me if I uh, if I start talking too long. I mean, I know uh, we could do a whole podcast yeah, just yeah, on that. Sure, sure. Well, at a at a high level, uh, Bowen Family Systems Theory makes the assertion uh, that the the family is the molecule of human existence, not the individual. And yes. the way that I often explain that is I can go on a silent retreat and be this remarkable, amazing, generous, patient, good, loving, kind human being. And the minute I get out of that retreat and start interacting with other people, those interactions produce anxiety um, because I can't manage them or control them or get them to do what I want them to do or whatever it is. Yes. And uh, what Bowen does is that he begins to help us see uh, what the impact of anxiety is and how we relate. And so I, I have really deep convictions about the kind of person I want to be. Uh, but when anxiety shows up, I will often, uh, your listeners won't be able to see this, but I'll hold my hand side by side and I'll say the feeling processes get stirred up. So my right hand is going way up high and the thinking process is shut down. My left yes. hand is going way down low. Yes. And, and so, and so when that happens, uh, I can't, um, I, I can't live into my core values, my, 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 uh, my deep convictions. What I do in that moment is the common fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. Yeah. We're just reacting to the anxiety we feel, exactly. but we can't exactly. name that we feel anxiety. That's actually right. the way out of it, right? right? You name that you actually feel anxious, and then you're able right. to see what's going on. Yeah, Right. Well, we've developed some language that we think is helping people. So what you just described, uh, uh, Ben, is what we would call your autopilot. Mm-hmm. I don't wake I don't wake up in the morning and say if Ben and I get into a conversation and all of a sudden I'm feeling anxious. I think what I'll do is <laughs> right. you can fill in the blank right. with whatever it is. I don't Yell. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, right, exactly. Yeah. Or run out of the room. Or you know, <laughs> right. uh, I, I had one of my friends, my really good friends, tell me one time, I've I've come to recognize that when you get anxious, you become the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> you start you start telling me what you've read. You start quoting authors. Oh uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but here's the deal. What we call that is your autopilot. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. blinking or breathing, you just engage in that reactive behavior. Yeah. And so the other piece of the language that we like to use is 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 the Apostle Paul's language, where he talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. 
we would say that that old self is that reactive self, that set of habits that you have about how you react when you get anxious with your husband or wife, with your friend, with your boss, with your employee. Uh, and that, and, and to, to Ben's point, that you can't see that old self and that you can't take off what you can't see. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. So, so family systems coaching, theory gives us lenses to name yes. and see the thing yes. that runs the show. And that we're blind to. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, that's so good. Like there's a, I think, I think what uh, family systems theory has helped me do is make all these biblical words that seem mm-hmm. spiritual mm-hmm. and abstract mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make them tangible and concrete. Mm-hmm. Right. So how does how so God says do not be afraid like more than more, that <laughs> phrase he said he just says it over and over and over right. maybe God more is, than any other phrase in the Bible. <laughs> right. God. So God is calling us into uh, non anxious or as you guys say less anxious presence in His presence. Uh, but if I can't name the anxiety that's living in my body, right. right, in my relationships, then I've just abstracted my Christian faith into some safe you know God file somewhere. But but well, all my relationships are full of. <laughs> anxiety and fear. Right. And what you've just done, uh, Matt, is, is I think do the, like a pithy diagnosis in the modern era to be a Christian meant to believe a certain kind of thing. Yeah. You had that the orthodoxyology yes. that you gave assent, but there was no place in the, um, the discipleship work where we actually had to go out and practice. Mm-hmm. And so I can quote, you know, if your brother or sister offends you, uh, go work it out with them in three translations. But I was well into my adult life before somebody actually said, why don't you go try to work that out and come back and let's talk about how what, how that went. Yeah. That was yeah. terrifying. Yeah. It was terrifying. It is terrifying. Every time. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, Jim. Uh, so I wonder uh, that some of the language from Family Systems Theory has kind of been stitched into popular culture now. We, and we mm-hmm. don't even know we're recruiting it. Right. It's like um, uh, differentiation, being mm-hmm. having a differentiated self. Mm-hmm. Or being self-differentiated. Could you describe what that is and how that plays into this noticing and and repenting of chronic anxiety? Yeah. So um, the way that I would describe it is that uh, maturity is defined in two parts. Uh, there's a part where I define myself. I say what I think, what I believe, what I want, what I am going to do. And at the same time, I stay connected to somebody who sees it differently than I do, who has a different perspective, who says it in a different way, who wants, believes, or, or is going to do something different than I'm going to do. We would say a high level of emotional maturity is when you can do both of those things, when you can be defined and stay connected. That a low level of emotional maturity is when you can, some, some people can be defined, but they can't stay connected. Yep. And other people can be connected, but they'll never define themselves. Yes. And both yep. of those look like low levels of emotional maturity. And so the work is to begin to see where your old self gets reacted and either you don't define yourself or you don't stay connected. And what does it look like to grow your capacity to do those? And so that's going to be different for different people. My wife and I are like polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had to learn to work on the staying connected. I could tell you what I thought and often was charging off down the field and looking back over my shoulder. Nobody was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, she, she, on the other hand, would, uh, would, would really ch- uh, be challenged to say what she thought if it differed from what I thought. But, boy, she was going to stay connected. And so we had to work on our reactivity in different ways. But the goal was to grow our capacity to be both defined and connected. 
Yes. Does that answer your question? It sure does. And okay. I, I just think I think of I think of obviously um, you know, forgive me, I'm a pastor, but I think of Jesus okay. Christ. You know, Absolutely. I think of Jesus Christ being wholly connected to every person he interfaced with, yeah. but wholly mm-hmm. distinct. And so you see so many times people try to goad him into some reactive, triggering fight, and he's and he always stays distinct from people, not needing their you know, not needing their approval, not needing to please them, not needing to be the smartest guy in the room, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, Jim, or the funniest right, guy right, in the room. Right, right. Maybe, maybe others of us uh, have that issue. Let the <laughs> listener understand. Uh, and so, and so, I just think of like what, part of what this book does and this language does, Jim, is it helps us name this capacity and competency that Jesus has of what it means to be like a flourishing human. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you just named what really. Uh, drew me to the family system stuff is that I began to read the life of Jesus uh, with the family systems thing in mind. I thought, man, he's the most defined and connected guy. What, mm-hmm. what guy do you know who can call a group of people at whitewashed sepulchers mm-hmm. and then go have dinner with them? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, uh, no. when, we're, when, we're, when we're doing workshops, <laughs> we, we will give this definition of emotional maturity that I just did about being defined and connected. And then we'll ask people to just look at the scriptures and see places where they see Jesus doing that. Yeah. And, and that part of the session can go forever because there's so many there's examples. There's so of many it. examples, yeah. yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. One of the chapters in this book that I know you had a lot to do with is entitled Leading in Uncertain Times. And I wonder in the midst of in the midst of this time when we're sort of all uh, enduring a global pandemic of COVID-19. And even if we thought we could still run things up the flagpole and sort of, you know, do this in 2019, now in 2020, we're on the cusp or the precipice of a complete and total upheaval of what church means and how we function and economics. What are some of the, what what is some wisdom, Jim, you can offer us about how to lead in anxious Mm -hmm. and uncertain times? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the place that I would start would be to say um, that 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 we've we've got to get our hands around the reality that our brains are wired uh, that for change to feel like a threat. Oh yeah, our brains are wired when change happens because primitive man, any change in the environment was literally a life threatening, uh, uh, threat. And, and so to, to, uh, uh, to, uh, 
to, to recognize that and to say, yeah. we're all going to be leading a group of people who feel threatened and in family systems, then what they what that would say to us is that means that the systems, the congregations, the organizations, the businesses that we're leading, there's going to be a high level of anxiety. And because anxiety is contagious, we've got to start from the place that says, remember, anxiety makes you stupid. I didn't say you were stupid, but it, it <laughs> But it, you know, it stirs up your feelings and shuts down your thinking. And so yeah, it, yeah. it causes you to act in ways that you might not act. And all of us in our organizations have that show up in seasons. We all have leadership crises. I, I'm 66 years old, and I've never lived in a place or a time where everywhere that was happening. Right. Simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And the challenges are going to be enormous. Uh, and so, the, you know, the first, the well, first thing, I, I, yeah. I think that's really important. I want to highlight what you just said. The first thing to do is to is to um, be differentiated enough, <laughs> right? You can name other people's fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. and and uh, I don't know if this is the right word, Jim. You can help me out. Normalize it. Yep. Or give people permission to feel it. Yes. I love the way you said that last one. I saw uh, one of my friends uh, up in uh, New York who leads the faith walking work there named Sherry Meyerveen, uh, posted the other day that it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Yeah. And what yeah. she was doing as a pastor was she was saying to her folks, um, you're going to be anxious and it's okay for you to be anxious. Yeah. And, and then what she went on to say was it's much more powerful to know that you're anxious rather than to not name that. Because when you name it, then you have access to some things that yes, you Jim. don't have if if what's going on is just your autopilot. Yes. Can can you help help us out? Because some of us have what I would call like a toxic religious conscience when it comes mm-hmm. to anxiety. Yeah. So if we notice we're anxious, we just we pull out our rolodex of fighter verses <laughs> that tell tell and tell ourselves not to be anxious. <laughs> right. And exactly. We, we try we we try to scripture. Like we try to just attack our anxiety with God's truth, right? And we end up like kind of low key shaming ourselves for being right. anxious. That's, but what you're saying is something different. Can you can you delineate between those two? Yeah. So um, you know, I think that part of what the leader's journey and what family systems theory does is it helps us integrate, or help, it helps the Bible to have a conversation with the, the neurosciences. Hmm. Uh, and and I think that there, there's, as there's actually a new chapter in this edition where Robert Creech uh, primarily uh, gives us access to some of that. Um, and, uh, and so here, here's what I would say. What I would say is the Bible does say don't be anxious. It does. Yeah. And, and so then the question has to become, and it's the question of, of almost everything that we're working on in, in, the, in, the, in the work that we do. How do you move from belief to practice? And so hmm. the Bible says don't be anxious, so how do I not be anxious? <laughs> well, part of what the neurosciences are teaching us is that I'm much more likely not to be anxious if I can talk about my anxiety, if I can offload it. Like I can come to you, Matt, and get on, or Ben, and get on this conversation and talk about something that's going on and how anxious I am. And after 10 or 15 minutes, maybe 20 or 30 minutes, then I can begin to feel yeah. the, the volume has turned down. And when the volume mm. gets turned down, then I can ask myself the question, so if I were not being anxious, what would I be doing? Yeah. And then I get into action. 
Yeah. And uh, and if all I've ever done with Don't Be Anxious is intellectual knowledge and, mm-hmm. you know, Bible verse shaming, <laughs> then er- early on, I'm going to have, a, I mean, like, I'm going to be a novice. I'm going to be, a, you know, I'm going to be a novice who's going to have to learn. Yeah. And I'm going to have to practice. And, mm-hmm. and as I practice, I'll get better at that over time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like it's not wrong to, to want to not to be anxious. Uh, it's just that we're so accustomed to it that the way that we try to not be anxious is by anxiously punching our anxiety in the in the throat, right? That's that's a great way to say it. Yeah, yeah. Where we just have to learn a new way of dealing with this that's less aggressive and like argh, like gritting our teeth, and more of a release and a consent and a letting go and a admitting and a seeing and a naming. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's another whole conversation that we could have on, on at another time. <laughs> but uh, what you're talking about, let me let me name that at a higher level. Mm-hmm. We're talking about anxiety, but what we're really talking about is how do you teach people to be obedient? Mm. So Jesus says, "If you love me, you'll obey my commands." Yeah. He says in the Great Commission, "Go and teach people to obey." Uh, and and mostly what we've done is we've used guilt and shame or just mental assent as an experience expression of obedience yeah. and and yeah. one of the questions that we find ourselves asking and and our, and our work informs is the question how do people learn obedience yes yes if pastors don't have a well thought out understanding of how people learn obedience mm-hmm. then what they're going to do is they're going to get compliance they're going to get a mental assent yeah. and then when anxiety shows up you know the the stuff's going to hit the van yeah Especially because so much of the obedience you're talking about, like a New Testament obedience, is things like uh, love one another. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a command. Well, how do you obey right. that command? Well, gosh, right. like that's that's not just how I behave towards you. It's how I right. feel about you. It's how you know, like how do I actually change that part of me? And we need a right. whole new set of uh, paradigms and practices to be able to do that yeah. to actually grow in love. Yeah, and at least in the modern Western church, that's still a relatively new conversation. Yes, yeah, um, you're right. There's a, a great, great little book out there by Alan Kreider called "The Patient Ferment of the Church." Oh, man, I'm reading a, that right now. You're reading it, that, yeah, yeah. It's it a great is book. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, he's an octogenarian from the UK. For your listeners, uh, who has spent his entire life studying the second and third century churches. And, and what he says, my high-level summary, is that before people could come to church, take the Eucharist or, or be a part of the worship services, they had to do the spiritual formation work that we're describing here. They had, yes. they had to actually do the work of taking off the old self, and they had to do the work of putting on a new self so that it didn't just become something that they intended, but, but that in the most highly anxious settings they found themselves in, the natural response of their heart would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that those would be the natural responses that they yes. take. <laughs> yeah, and you you describe the how-to, because uh, I think when you say um, you can command somebody to do something, but then how do you do it? Uh, people people do respond with, well, how do you do it, right? <laughs> and, I, uh, and Jim, the, one of the chapters in your book is, is entitled the spiritual life and the path of transformation and you and you name sort of a how-to in there could you maybe give us one or two pieces of what does it look like to begin to learn for instance how to love love your enemy yeah uh, so um 
first of all, we would say, uh, the, and this is not a step-by-step -step process, but these are the component parts. You've got to learn to see the habit that you're trying to disrupt. And disruption is like a part of your work. You, you, yeah. And in the beginning, you'll only see it after the fact. You'll have an experience and you'll get away and you'll say, ah, my old self showed up again. I did this thing that I don't want to do. And the more you can notice that, the more the spirit then has access to some things. And, and with just keep noticing it over time, in real time, you'll notice it. And that's, that's a part of the disruption. Hmm. The second piece then is on, on the new self. I, I, people will come to me for coaching and they'll say, man, I, you know, I'm just so impatient with my spouse and blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that. And they'll talk about all the impact and all of what happens. And then I'll say, so if you showed up as your best, highest, truest self that you are in Christ, how would you have shown up differently in that conversation that you're telling me about? And yeah. the most common answer that I get, uh, I don't I've never, I don't never thought about that. Hmm. I just think of it. I just think about this. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we yeah. we don't we don't fantasize or daydream about what it would be to live as though new creation had come. Right. We don't do it. We don't. We don't. And, and so we we have an imaginative crisis even for mm -hmm. what love lives like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jim, well, so, so you put you, you put those two things together. So there's the disruption on one side, and there's the practice, the, the envisioning and practice on the other side. And then what what closes that gap is what we call in the in the first chapter of the book, learning to live the reflective life. Hmm. And uh, and boy, I want to I want to be really precise here because I grew up in a tradition where all the spiritual disciplines were things that I did to get God to love me. Yes. If I read my Bible, if I prayed, if I went to church, if I gave my money, then God would love me. And if I didn't do those things, then God didn't love me and I was in trouble. And mm -hmm. um, and uh, when we talk about the reflective life, we're talking about the practice of the spiritual disciplines mm -hmm. in a way that allows you to bring your most authentic self to God. Mm -hmm. uh, vulnerable, authentic, real. And so I've begun to see this this old self that I'm trying to disrupt. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what I, what I, what I say to folks that I coach, what I practice in my own life is only God can change that. Right. But that doesn't mean that I don't have some work to do. Yeah. yeah you work, have agency in it. Right. My work is to hold it up. My work is to tell God mm -hmm. the truth about that. Yes. My God, my work is to keep telling myself the truth. My, my work is to let two or three people in my life uh, who love me and, and would hold me accountable to know that I'm working on trying to disrupt this. Yep. And by, by, putting that together uh, in that kind of reflective life, then the spirit speaks in challenging, but non-shaming, non-judgmental ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the reflective life then gets us to incremental practice where we don't go, have to go from nothing to all, yeah. but yeah. we can, you know, we can develop the, the skills along the way. Um, and I think that's a lot of what that chapter is about. Yeah. That's yeah, great. Ben, ben uh, what strikes you as you hear that? Well, I think of a Dallas Willard quote, which uh, often happens to me. Um, Jim, so you know, like I read The Divine Conspiracy, you know, when it when it came out, what was that, 1999, 2000? Um, and it, you know, Matt mentioned earlier, what, like fundamental paradigm shift, like a, just a completely new conscience, consciousness. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. happened to me that year. I, I took a year to read the book because it, it was blowing my mind so much. I had to read like a page at a time and then close it and just think about it for, uh, for an hour. But anyway, um, so a lot of a lot of Willard is um, burned its way into my uh, consciousness. But anyway, one of his one of my favorite quotes from him about spiritual transformation 
is, uh, he says, you cannot do it alone, but it will not be done for you. Right. And uh, I think that's I such a, that. as, as a beautiful way of encapsulating what you're saying there is I, and I think people struggle with that so much that they're so afraid, yeah. especially from certain theological backgrounds, they're so afraid of works righteousness mm-hmm. that they, they're afraid to work. Right. Like they're afraid to do anything. And Willard had another quote about that where he said, like, effort isn't earning. Right, exactly. You're not er- yeah. earning is an attitude. Effort is just action. And you yeah. need to take some action if you're going to if you're going to avail yourself of the presence yeah. and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I, beautifully I think, put. I think that is true. Like there's a big swath of the church out there that does the works thing or yeah. resists the works thing. I think the other thing that's out there is that in a lot of traditions to admit that you that you have some some call to obedience that doesn't show up in your life uh, to tell the truth about that you'd get shamed or judged. Um, yes. so, so I think people yes. are afraid or they'll get told, go read your Bible more, pray more. And they've done that. And so then they're resigned and cynical about the possibility of God actually yes. changing them. Yes. And so I, those are kind of the three. It's just like the, the effort earning, the, the shame, guilt, mm-hmm. uh, and the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the resignation and cynicism. Yeah, yeah the despair. people. Yeah, they've tried those things and it, you know, it doesn't work, and right, so right. this must not be real. Or you know, yeah. I think that's the point of people. You know, they leave and leave the faith sometimes because right. there's a, there's mm-hmm. no power here. There's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah, another one of our pithy axioms, Jim, that I'm thinking of as we're talking is uh, we say God is so real that He most fully meets you where you really are. Mm. And so there's this permission and freedom and grace. To name, to name this stuff, which yeah. is family systems theory and other things give us language to name dynamics that God wants to get his hands on. Mm-hmm. When we name them, we're simply confessing. We're just, we're saying the same thing about reality as God is. Right, uh, exactly. And, and, and so, and we're reckoning with what's, with what's real, right? So, for instance, my uh, need to justify myself is infinitely more real than my abstracted belief in justification by faith. <laughs> And, exactly. and unless I can meet God in this little scared, yeah. uh, wounded self that is always trying to be justified by how I am and how people perceive me and if I'm smart and yeah, am I good looking today, you know, all these different hustles we have. Yeah. Um, what, what you're describing is let's meet God in these granularities. Let's have a community of people where we don't receive less love when we name them, but more. Yeah. Because there's more of us on the table. Yeah, and then instead of trying to like cross the Pacific Ocean in a day, right. let's just take one step on the water. Yeah, and trust Jesus in one place. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, I, that that is exactly the way we think about the work. And the the one of the pithy sayings that we have uh, is that if you're going to do what you just described, you're going to have to increase your pain tolerance. Mm. Yes, dude. Uh, yes. and, 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 you know, and we don't like, we're not masochists. We're not saying to people, you know, you've got to do some kind of aesthetic Christianity, but, but to stand, um, uh, to, to stand firmly in the presence of your insecurity that you were describing is painful. Yes. Yes, Nobody wakes in the morning and says, give me some no. of that. No yeah. vulnerability uh, to, to face yourself in the fire of the love of God yeah. is like one of the most terrifying things a human can do. But if you can tell people the truth about that, and particularly if you can tell them the truth in the context of a community of people who are practicing that. So mm-hmm. I began to tell the truth about some broken place in me, uh, and um, 
and my community rather than judging me celebrates that I can see that and that I'm uh, that I'm exercising the courage to stand in that with with them and with God yeah. uh, that's that's the kind of church that we've got to find a way to foster and to create as we move uh, as we as we move into this pandemic uh, <laughs> and as we move into this post-christian post-modern world that we're living in well maybe to close this up i know this isn't uh, what the book is about but the work you do now where it sounds like some of this work happens is a ministry called faith walking um is that is that am i getting that yes. right can yep. you tell us a little uh, bit so, about that yeah, so Tricia uh, Taylor and a guy named Steve Capper, an Episcopal rector here in the city, and, and I, uh, back in 2007, launched a ministry called Faith Walking. Uh, we, we describe it as a spiritual formation process that equips people to live missionally. And it is a, uh, it's about an 18-month process that systematically helps people uh, in, in a safe community name their old self and begin to do the work that would take off the old self and put on the new self. Um, and we started that just as a weekend retreat for a group of, of, uh, business people in the city who were saying, my church is not helping me live missionally. They're helping me serve the church, the, the institution, but they're not helping me live missionally in my work. And at the end of that retreat, almost, uh, universally, they said, this has been so helpful and we need some more support. We can't, you know, and so what started out as a weekend retreat over time became a two year kind of process. Um, and over, over time became, um, uh, by no intention of our own went, uh, global their faith walking circles all over the u.s and canada uh in central america and 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 three or four eastern european and asian con uh, countries and so for about from 07 to 2017 i served as the executive director of that and okay. and what and we we you can find that at faithwalking.us uh, and then in 2017, Trish and I uh, both uh, left that work, though we still serve as volunteers and now have this company called The Leader's Journey, where we're doing uh, coaching both in the for-profit and the non and, and the not-for-profit world around the stuff great. that we're talking about today. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Well, I feel like I've uh, found some... Uh, thank you. I feel like I found some uh, some uh, some some new brothers, some folks who see the world the way yeah. that I do, yeah. working on some of the same stuff we're working on. Uh, totally that feels Jim. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the feel same good. way. I got uh, that sense as I tons of resonance. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for being with us today, Jim. Uh, if you keep writing, we'll have you back on. Would love some time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. I'd love sometime to have you back on maybe and just talk more about faith walking. It's so similar to the Gravity Leadership Academy, the thing we do at, Gra yeah. at Gravity yeah, Leadership. Yeah. Um, and and any time we can meet people who are doing the th kinds of things you're doing, it makes you feel less crazy, uh, more connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for and, sure. Uh, yeah, may our may your tribe increase, Jim. Thanks. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Amen. Peace to you. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. 
you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.